Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. If it was a horrendous crime, why didn't I shoot them between the eyes, cut their penis off? People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in there. Uh, he was saving body parts such as uh, skulls and uh, skeletons. Good afternoon. We are very excited to record our next episode. Taylor is going to jump right into it with Farian Wardrip. Okay. Thanks, Alyssa, for that intro. Oh, yeah. I tried really hard. <laughs> um, this week's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I'm just going to kind of jump right into the murders instead of doing background like I normally do. So let's just get into it. <clears throat> On January 19th of 1985, Tony Gibbs, a 23-year-old nurse, uh, disappeared after working a night shift at the Wichita uh, General Hospital. Uh, Her car was located and abandoned not far from the hospital, where police were not able to find any foreign fingerprints or clues inside the car. Um, Four weeks later... A Texas electrical worker, which also threw me off. I didn't realize Wichita was Wichita area was in Texas. I was like, you need to pause, pump the brakes because you're saying the wrong state. <laughs> I know. I like. I got really confused, but where I think it's like Wichita Falls or something. I don't know. It's actually in Texas. Okay. Um. So four weeks later, an elect a Texas electrical worker found her body in a deserted field a hundred feet away from an old bus um when the bus was searched they found blood that matched tony um and it appeared she was stabbed in the bus and tried to crawl away into the field to find help that's sad that'd be scary yeah um so i was like that sucks because once she's bleeding out and she's in pain but she's also like She's crawled a hundred feet away, trying so hard, hard to, to save survive. Her life. Yeah. yeah. Um, police had a suspect pretty quickly. It was twenty-four-year-old Danny Laughlin. Um, he was seen riding his motorcycle in a field near where Tony's body was found. Um, and I said, like, when I was like in a field near where her body was found, Texas is like one giant ass field. Yeah. Like, really, how close was this field? Like, hey, you happen to be the closest person in the area. It must be so, you. So, yeah. I mean, maybe it was five miles away, but I mean, that's still yeah. pretty damn close. You're the closest person. You're um, our number one suspect, Danny. Yeah. But um, but as police were, like, getting information on him, they found out that Laughlin uh, worked as a male stripper. And when police asked him to take a polygraph test, he failed. And when speaking to officers... Laughlin made comments that alluded to um, to him knowing about the murder and even placed himself at the scene. Uh, they also found out uh, that he knew Tony Gibbs. He had met her at a nightclub um, a few weeks before her disappearance. Uh, but, like, he had failed, you know, the polygraph test, so he was obviously a suspect. So police collected his DNA and compared it to the semen found on Tony's body. Um, and the results were inconclusive. Um, 
Though they had no forensic evidence linking into him and it was a completely circumstantial case, the prosecution decided to charge him with Tony's murder. Um, and with only the circumstantial evidence, the jury tried to deliberate for two days, but they could not agree on a verdict. And um, so a mistrial was declared and the case ultimately dismissed uh, with only one of 12 jurors believing that he was guilty in the prosecution. Like, so one out of 12 people thought he was guilty. Like, And the rest thought he was innocent. Yeah. Yeah. That- or at least not necessarily. Like for me, I was like, one person was sure he was guilty. The other people, to me, probably they didn't they didn't feel like there was enough evidence to say that he did it or not. Yeah, to say okay, he was in the area, but the if the DNA evidence is inconclusive, that's a big red flag to me that he's probably not the one that did it. Yeah. And if he is, you need to have that evidence mm-hmm. being a conclusive match. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Remember it was 85. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. Um the but. DNA was definitely just in the baby stages at that point yeah. when it comes to um, using it at a court in a court. Yeah. So with only one juror, with um, prosecution kind of decided that since it was only one juror that actually believed he was guilty, they went ahead and um, decided not to retry the case because they didn't have the evidence and they knew like they it weren't going to. Yeah. yeah. And if he was the person, they didn't want him to get acquitted. And never be able to be charged again, exactly. Um, So, so 16 months later, another murder happened. A 21-year-old waitress, Tina Kimbrew, was murdered. Um, She was found lying on a couch in her apartment. When the autopsy was done, small fibers were found in her lungs, indicating that she had been suffocated. Uh, The fibers matched the pillows on her couch. Um, but with this case, there was no indication of any sexual assault. Um, neighbors told police they saw a man leaving Tina's apartment about five hours before her body had been found. Neighbors described him as a white male, about 6'2", with dark hair, wearing a baseball cap. Real descriptive. <laughs> I've never seen anyone that looks like that. He um, must stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Police didn't consider Danny Laughlin a suspect at the time because he didn't match the description, which is funny because if you look up what Danny Laughlin looks like, in my head, he matches that description. I mean, I don't know how tall he is, but he was a white guy with dark, dark hair. hair. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, but I'm, he didn't match the description, so police didn't consider him a suspect. Um, police did receive a call from a Farron uh, Wardrip. I'm sorry, his name throws me off every time. Farron, um, Farron, whatever you say it. Uh, Wardrip. Honestly, we don't care if you're pronouncing it right because I think he's the bad guy. Yeah. Okay. A Texas, <laughs> a Texas man living in Galveston. He admitted to killing Tina because she reminded him of his ex-wife who had recently ended their marriage. Police believe Wardrop confessed only because people witnessed him leave the scene and he figured it was only a matter of time before he was caught. So, I mean, good for you, Wardrop, for, uh, for admitting it, whether it was selfish reasons or not. Yeah. Um, but... Wardrop pleaded guilty to Tina Kimbrew's murder and received a 35-year sentence. While in prison, Wardrop 
um, was able to get clean from drugs and alcohol and started making clear decisions. Because, you know, that's what prison does for you. Mm-hmm. You find he, God usually. He did find God, oh actually. My gosh. I was about to say that. <laughs> me jumping ahead here. Um, he finished his high school diploma and discovered Christianity. Uh, Tina's family believed that Wardrip would serve the 35-year sentence in prison, but only after 13 months they were notified that he was up for his first parole hearing. Um, so for the next 10 years, Robert Kimbrew, Tina's father, did everything he could to make sure Wardrip stayed behind bars. So he, at least after the first 13 months, he didn't get out. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so, but unfortunately, he did only end up serving 11 years before he was paroled. Wow. Yeah. Um, but after... After his release, he moved to Olney, Texas, where he had the support of his family. He found a job and vowed to start his life over. Wardrop became active in his church, where he ended up teaching Sunday school and getting married or remarried. I I don't care for that at all. I just hate how people... Like, who are you people at this church that are like, oh my gosh, he's... Like he been served his time. He served he, his time. He's he a didn't good serve enough time. Now. He took somebody's life. Yeah, he murdered someone's child. A twenty-one-year-old child. He murdered her, and he just gets to move on. And he's a good guy now, and he's married and goes to church. So, oh, like I, I understand when people are like, he served his time. Like you don't need to let him. Well, like, and I and. In cases that involve a death of somebody else, yeah, when it's truly an accidental death and it was not like, um, I don't even know. Like if you hit someone with your car and it was an accident and you mm-hmm. didn't do that on purpose, but maybe you were texting or maybe you were doing something you shouldn't have been, mm-hmm. you didn't set out that day to kill somebody. Yeah. He did. Yeah, he killed somebody, whether it was in a moment of passion because she reminded him of his ex-wife. That's still not fair. Like, yeah. She didn't do anything to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In Wichita Falls, the district attorney, Barry Macha, uh, still had a string of unsolved murders. So, like, Tony Gibbs was still considered considered unsolved. A 21-year-old Terry Sims, a nurse like Tony, was murdered in 1984. So, a year prior, uh, she had gotten home from work when... Uh, someone knocked on her door and forced their way into her house. Uh, Terry tried to fight back her at her attacker, um, but he ended up tying her hands behind her back and sexually assaulted her. She was stabbed to death, and unfortunately, she did not die instantly. Um, medical examiner said it probably <laughs> took two to four minutes before she actually died. Like, in my head... Like, I really hope that her body went into shock and she wasn't feeling anything. Yeah, It doesn't sound like a long time when you're like, oh, two minutes. But think of laying there in pain and There's knowing, nothing you can do to get help. Knowing you're going to die. No one is going to help you. And you're Well, alone. and especially, like, she's a nurse. She knows, she knows. what to do to help herself, yeah. but can't because she's been tied up. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sad. That's a long, long time to Mm -hmm. have to lay like that. Especially if it's the four minutes. Like, sometimes when you're, like, really excited to get somewhere and it's, like, time just ticks by slowly and you're like... Just takes forever. Uh, That is what... Yeah. 
That's what I yeah. imagine. Um, police did find a bloody fingerprint on Terry's shoe and semen, uh, and a semen sample was collected and preserved for future DNA testing. Police had a few subjects, sub, suspects, <laughs> can't speak today, um, but nothing was definitive. Uh, the next case, next unsolved case was in 1985. Deborah Taylor went missing after uh, being at a bar with her husband, Ken. Uh, like her husband, Ken, was with her originally at the bar, but he ended up going home because he was tired. When I read that, and I know, like, again, this is back 35 years ago. Yeah. And I had, like, if I'm going to go somewhere with my husband to a bar, or even if, like, we met there for drinks or after work or something, if he's going home, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I don't know, though, because my, in my marriage, I'm the crazy one and he's the boring one. So mm-hmm. a lot of times we will go somewhere together or to see family or whatever. And he's like, all right, I'm out of here. And I'm like, but I want to stay. Well, and that's and funny because like, that actually happened to us last night. Like I went up to a friend's house and I was helping her all day, like getting ready for her husband's birthday. And then, um, and then Chris met us up there uh-huh. later and. He was like, you can stay. Like, I'm going to go. I'm not going to, I'm not feeling well. And I was like, no, I'll just leave with you. Like, even though we left. And I was like. Yeah. But that's where he's more of the crazy one in our situation yeah, than and I'm you, not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I would totally stay without my husband if, like, that wouldn't be weird for us. Yeah. See, and I, that's where, like, I like having other people's perspective on that. Because, like, in my head, I'm like, well, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's so but weird. That's, but, but that is normal for other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, she stayed at the bar. And um, when she failed to return home, her husband filed a missing persons report, and her body was found five days later by two construction workers. Um, Ken, Deborah's husband, was believed to be the culprit. He passed three different polygraph tests, and there was no evidence, but police still considered him a suspect. I hate that. Yeah. And so, like, she that case wasn't even, um, like, so it just another they consider it just another unsolved murder they didn't they feel didn't it. have enough against the husband yeah um in september of 1985 uh ellen blau was leaving work after midnight and she was attacked on the way to her car uh, she was forced to drive into a deserted area on the outskirts of town where um, where she was strangled and her body was left in a grassy embankment her attacker took her car back to town and abandoned it on a dark road. Uh, her body was found days later, but her body was badly decomposed because of the summer heat, which was on- and they were only able to identify her through dental records. So in September in Texas, I mean they don't humid, hot. They don't call those like the dog days. Like so, uh, September and October are like the yeah. dog days of summer, and it's named that for a reason. It's yeah. freaking hot. Um, so again, only able to identify her through dental records. Um, and so these were like the four unsolved case. We had Tony Gibbs, uh, Terry Sims, Deborah Taylor, and Aaron Ellen Blau. Mm-hmm. Um, police didn't link the Deborah Taylor case to the others because they believed her husband was the culprit. So they didn't really consider her. Um, part of these three cases. So um, with 14 years having gone by since Terry, Tony, and Ellen's cases had um, 
remained unsolved and there were cold cases. Uh, D.A. Macha asked an investigator, John Little, to take a fresh look at the case. And when the cases were somewhat, like, when he looked over the cases, uh, Detective Little or Investigator Little um, realized he did have some personal connection with this case. He and his family, like, actually personally knew Tony Gibbs. So he this was, like, a case that he really wanted to um, get solved. Mm-hmm. So uh, he had... DA Macha requests that the DNA and semen from both Tony and Terry's case be compared. Um, and the forensic lab were able to determine that the sample, um, that they were from the same perpetrator. So that connected those cases, which was great for them. Um, they still, because of the way, I guess, Deborah or Ellen Blau, like they kind of looped her in and just kind of assumed that she probably had the same murderer, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, the three cases had never been originally linked, but because each investigator, because they were each investigated by different law enforcement agencies, which, again, back in the 80s and before, like and even early 90s, and even still today, some agencies have struggles talking to each other. Yeah, especially if you're like a smaller agency, too. Mm-hmm. You're not going to, I mean, you would be so shocked that this thing happened in your small town and blah, 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 mm-hmm. and you wouldn't probably look to a bigger area. You right. You know what I mean? You would just assume it was someone yeah. close or passing through. Um, so, yeah, they were investigated by different agencies. When Little looked through the case file, he found that the officer who interviewed Wardrip had interviewed Wardrip during the Tina Kimbrew case asked Wardrip if he knew... Ellen Blau. And Wardrop admitted to knowing her, but the police never followed up with anything with the lead. Mm-hmm. So, so this murder is admitting to knowing one of these girls that has been killed and they're like, oh, yeah. neat. Moving yeah, like, on. Cool story. Um, <laughs> nothing. It, it's not related to this case, yeah. so we're not going to really look into <laughs> Let's it just now. Leave that alone where it's yeah. at. Um, so because of that, like, a little started to find small links to Wardrop in the case, and he lived um, in that. He lived down the hall from Ellen's best friend, Janie Ball or Jeannie Ball, um, which was only a few blocks away from Terry's house, uh, Terry Sims' house. So then that kind of connects him to that case. Mm-hmm. So we've got him. We've got Wardrop now connected to Ellen Blau and to Terry. And then Little found out that Wardrop was a janitor of the hospital Tony worked at, and the time he was working there coincided with the time of her murder. So now he's connected to all three cases. Three, yeah. Um, with having the connections to each murder, Little went on uh, went to Olney, Texas, to try and connect collect Wardrop's DNA and compare the evidence. Um, compared to the evidence, uh, Little spent weeks watching the factory where Wardrop worked, hoping to be able to collect something um, with his DNA on it. Not having a warrant to collect the DNA, Little had to make sure that Wardrop really discarded whatever he collected so that there wouldn't be any search and seizure problems. Mm-hmm. So he really had to like find something that he was throwing away. Um, and finally, Little watched Wardrop one day like as he took a coffee break outside the factory and he waited until he noticed Wardrop toss the cup into a nearby trash barrel. Little got out of the car and raced over and asked Wardrop 
um, if he had a spit cup because he was chewing tobacco. And Wardrip just kind of pointed over to the trash can and saying, like, help yourself. Like, you can find something in the trash, like, to, for your spit cup. And trying to act as fast as possible to find the right cup because he looked in the trash and filled with tons of other people's (laughs) coffee cups. Um, Little noticed one that had cracker crumbs on the rim of it. And he had noticed that Wardrip had been eating crackers. So he grabbed that cup and took off. And the cup was sent to the forensic lab to examine for DNA where they were able to collect... um, they were able to collect the DNA from it and compare it to the what the DNA found on Tony Gibbs and Terry Sims, and the DNA on the cup found to be an exact match to the semen in both cases. I just have to interrupt you and say that I love, I freaking love when investigators do that move because you can be the most careful criminal in the entire world, but eventually you're going to have to throw some shit away. Mm-hmm. And whether that's your tobacco spit cup or a booger tissue or whatever you have used Mm -hmm. eventually you're going to have to throw something away and they're going to get your dna if they have something to compare it to yeah so and i was like and that's and it seems like shade like oh i'm not allowed to throw stuff away you're like you're right you're not but you're criminal you're a murderer yeah and like start if you've done something wrong keep your dna to yourself maybe yeah maybe don't murder people just don't murder people yeah just don't um so, yeah, again, semen matched his DNA, which was great. Uh, Wardrop was arrested, and during the interview, Little laid out all the evidence that he had against him, and he confessed. Uh, uh, he confessed to all three murders, um, and then Little asked him if asked Wardrop if he recognized him from collecting the cl- the cup, and apparently he didn't. Wardrop didn't remember. Oh, him. that's terrible. And I was like, he's like, I guess if you're not really paying attention and you're thinking you're not done doing anything wrong. Yeah. And at this point, it's been 15 years. Yeah. Since he's probably he very relaxed into his way of life now. Yeah. He's a good guy. Remember? Well, he found Jesus after the, if you think, um, these other four murders or three murders of these uh, women that were connected to him, um, all happened before. Uh, the one he went to prison for. Yeah. So. So now he's So not- he's, you know, he found Jesus when he was in prison and has not strayed from the path since. Hasn't murdered. Good. You know yeah. what? I'm really proud of you for not murdering since you got out of prison. Good yeah. job. Um, but again, Wardrop said he didn't remember him. As Little was finishing up the interrogation, Wardrop confessed to another murder. Uh, he told the police that he went to Fort Worth about two months after the Tony Gibbs murder. Uh, and he said he met Deborah Taylor in a bar and they danced as he offered, um, and he offered her a ride home when leaving, he made sexual advances on her, but she turned him down and it sent him into a rage and he killed her and dumped her body. As I mentioned before, police suspected Deborah Taylor's husband, Ken in her in the crime, so it had um, and he had remained a suspect in that crime for fourteen for that years. whole time. Oh my yeah. gosh, and, that poor man! And, but he was never charged. But being a su- suspected of murder ruined his life. That would ruin you. Spe- like living in Texas, you have the small town feel where everybody knows everybody, mm-hmm. and especially this long ago, you know, it's like 
you're going to ruin his employment prospects. Yeah, his, if they, they ruined, had kids, he his entire like they had two kids. Like, it didn't say anything about um, whether or not what the kid situation was, but his family turned against him and her family turned against him. Yeah. Everybody believed that he killed this person. Yeah. Like he killed his wife. And, um, and now like 14 years later, he finally gets vindicated and, um, and I'm sure he doesn't even get a sorry. I'm no. sure it's like, Oh, well this is actually the guy. And then that was the end of it. Yeah. And it, like, and also how do you repair those relationships? Like, you're the people that you're that are supposed to trust you and love yeah. you no matter what. Like and they and didn't, they didn't trust you. you in your moment of need. They, they just were yeah. like, "F off, we're not like, going to help you." Yeah, um, poor guy. Yeah. So the DNA matched uh, with the DNA matching to Wardrip. It also exonerated Danny Laughlin from oh, the yeah. case mm-hmm. um, from Tony Gibbs, which um, he had been charged but not convicted, but still like. I mean, he had been charged with murder. It's not like that, like that shows on his record that he just, yeah. went, like, it's there. It's just, it doesn't show as a conviction. Well, and they were probably just waiting for one day more evidence to come yeah. and they would have charged him again. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately he had been killed in a, in a car accident three years before. So he was never able to actually have the relief of his name being cleared. Oh, that's sad. That's yeah. too bad. Um, on October 4th of 1999, Almost 15 years after committing the murders, Wardrip pled guilty to the murders and was sentenced to death by lethal injection. Wardrip is quoted saying, I never once thought I got away with it. I knew I had left evidence behind. Detectives looked at all the evidence um, that was collected in, in interviews. And of course, my name was there in 1986, just like it was in 1999. And why... Those individuals didn't recognize it is still confusing to me this day. I really was a serial killer. I was like, um, okay. I was like, but so he says that, but then he still decides to, you know, file an appeal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a serial killer, but I gotta appeal this shit. I can't, <laughs> I can't stay here. Yeah. Have you been here to prison? I can't stay here. Yeah. So in 2008, he filed an appeal stating that he had ineffective counsel in his trial, um, and a federal magistrate recommended the death penalty be overturned. Um, in 2011, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed the lower ruling about giving Wardrip either a new trial or agreeing. Or agreed to give him a life, to give him like a life sentence instead of death penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, then in December of 2014, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals dismissed Wardrip's appeal regarding the inadequate representation. And like, honestly, in my head, I'm like, he probably did somewhat have inadequate representation in, in the sense of he's pleading guilty. Like, so they didn't really have to go to trial. Mm-hmm. He pled guilty. Um, but he still got the maximum sentence. So you'd think that some type of negotiations would have happened to where he's like, hey, I'm admitting to four other murders. Yeah. How about you knock it down a little bit to at least life without parole? But, I mean, I'm not complaining that he's in prison, so. Um, But as of 2019, Wardrop remains on death row in the um, Polnost... Polanski? Polanski unit near Livingston, Texas. 
So. I, I have it up on Google. That's the only reason I knew how to say that. I was that. like, I don't know how to say I, These words are hard, yeah, Texas. It's, it's not like I'm a Jeopardy <laughs> champion that's like, oh, are you talking about the Polunsky unit? I don't know. Yeah. They're but, hard. Yeah, he is currently still on death row. He's been there now for 22 years and will probably stay there until he's finally put, put to, to death. death. Ah. That was a good ending. <laughs> Cut it. Cut it there. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye.